0: Well, this morning, uh, I have the exciting uh, news uh, that next week you won't have to hear me. (laughs) I'm just kidding. That's not exciting. Uh, But next week, no, it's exciting because we have Philip Martin, our missionary. Uh, He is going to be with us. And so actually next week, um, we're having sort of pretty cool. We're having sort of like a mini missions conference. It'll be kind of cool next week. I'll be out of town. Uh, Natalie and I are able. I'm thankful that we're able to kind of get away for a little bit. And uh, next week, though, Philip is uh, going to be speaking in this hour and also in the, the main service hour uh, for uh, the Sunday morning worship, which I'm really excited. I'm, it's a bummer that I can't be here, but I'm excited to see uh, or to hear him present and uh, as he presents his ministry and his heart. Uh, and also um, Don Castelline. He is a Missionary. Uh, he works with the Keys mis- Ministries. He's a local guy, too. Um, <clears throat> he will be presenting his ministry uh, in the evening time for the evening worship. So I'm really excited, uh, sort of about. Uh, we weren't able to have our regular missions conference this year, which is uh, unfortunate, but I'm thankful that we're able to have sort of a mini one, uh, and it'll be exciting, uh, no doubt. So I hope you'll make plans to be here for that. This morning, though, I want to take you to the book of Judges. The book of Judges. We're going to start out in chapter 16 judges chapter 16 let me ask you though when you are reading the bible uh, you're trying to go through perhaps uh, some of the more uh, difficult passages of scripture uh, how do you how do you get through those chapters i'll just well i'll just answer it for you i guess uh, when i read the bible i try and visualize what I'm reading. I'm a very kind of visual person. I think it also comes from the fact that I love to watch movies. And so when I'm reading the Bible, uh, I often try and picture, how would this be filmed if it was a movie? Uh, and you, there's, if you look at the Old Testament, there are tons and tons and tons of stories that are like, man, that would make a really cool movie scene. Um, I, I think of the scene of, of Joshua and the destruction of Jericho. Uh, that's just really cinematic um like you have these people walking around the city and they're blowing trumpets and yelling and then all of a sudden the city is crumbling I don't know that would just be kind of cool to see on screen or I think of uh the the one from even this this book uh Gideon and his 300 men uh you know we've had stories of the 300 uh men of Greece like you know at the battle of Thermopylae but this would even be cooler because they don't have swords they have lanterns and and trumpets as they go into battle. That would be kind of interesting to see. Uh, Another one I've always thought would be cool... Uh, to see is David and his mighty men, uh, you know as it describes all of these really mighty men that are sort of david 's compatriots as he 's uh, running as a fugitive of the very kingdom that he is uh, christened to be the next king of, he and his mighty men are going around and uh, if you can you can read some of their uh, te- the, the testimony about these guys uh, that are around and surrounding david that are that are with him through all of that that the hard difficult seasons it's these men were true uh, true warriors uh, but i think the one that takes the cake is the one i kind of want to talk about this morning is the guy samson samson's story um i think is one of the most cinematic stories if i can say that uh in all of the scriptures uh, the events of his life, the scenes that we are given of his life, from about Chapter thirteen of judges to to now in Chapter sixteen, uh, they are just filled with uh, uh, the uh, prime sort of ingredients you might say that would make for a good movie. in fact, they did did you know this? They made a movie about Samson back in two thousand and eighteen. It currently has a one out of five star rating not very good. I watched the trailer and it 's yikes um, i don 't know why. They don't make good Bible movies, but maybe it's because they're not trying to make a Bible movie. They're just, anyways. It's it didn't look good, so don't watch it. Um, But anyways, before you were born, there was there was one made about uh, Samson. Before I was born, there's one about Samson. I don't remember that one. (laughs) (laughs) I'll have to look that one up. See if it's any good. I don't remember that one. Remember you know, he was chained together, right? You know, sort of of uh, I don't. Know. I'll have to look that one up. Yeah. I can only the only biblical movie I remember is is Ben Hur. Uh, I don't, and that's not super biblical. It's kind of extra biblical, but Ten Commandments. <laughs> the Ten Commandments too. Charlton Heston, good old Heston. I I'll have to find it for you. It. <laughs> <laughs> find it for me. <laughs> uh, anyways, though, if you, I, I want to take you to the end of Samson's life, uh, here in chapter sixteen, because. Um, If you read this ending, and then you will kind of backtrack and we'll start from the beginning, you kind of realize just how much of a tragedy uh, Samson's life really is. Look at verse 23 of chapter 16. It says this, Now the lords of the Philistines gathered together to offer a great sacrifice to Dagon, their god, and to rejoice. And they said, Our god has delivered into our hands Samson, our enemy. When the people saw him, they praised their god For they said, Our God has delivered into our hands our enemy, the destroyer of our land, or the one who has multiplied our dead. So it happened, when their hearts were merry, that they said, Call for Samson, that that he may perform for us. So they called for Samson from the prison, and he performed for them. And they stationed him between the pillars. Then Samson said to the lad who held him by the hand, Let me feel the pillars, which support the temple, so that I can lean on them. That the temple was full of men and women. All the lords of the Philistines were there. About 3,000 men and women on the roof watching while Samson performed. Then Samson called to the Lord, saying, O Lord God, remember me, I pray, strengthen me, I pray just this once, O God, that I may with one blow take vengeance on the Philistines for my two eyes. And Samson took hold of the two middle pillars, which supported the temple, and he braced himself against them, one on his right and the other on his left. Then Samson said, Let me die with the Philistines. And he pushed with all his might, and the temple with, and the temple fell on the lords and the people who were in it. So the dead that he killed at his death were more than he had killed in his life. Here is Samson's tragic end. The tragic end of a life of one of the great judges of Israel. The one who was commissioned uh, by God and sort of planned by God to be a deliverer of his people. And look at verse 21. It says, Then the Philistines took him and put out his eyes. They gouged out his eyes and brought him down to Gaza. They bound him with bronze fetters and he became a grinder in the prison. This, if you, I imagine if there were a movie, if I were making a movie about Samson, this is where I would start. I would start with this scene and it would be like, you know, those movies where it has like the record scratch and the guy's like, you may be wondering how I ended up here. And I imagine Samson saying that, you know, he's tied between two pillars with his eyes gouged out and he's fettered with these bronze chains uh, in the house of his mortal enemies you may be wondering, how in the world could Samson have ended up like this? Well, go back to chapter 13, because I want want you to see that Samson had this promising beginning to his life. He was born, and from the time he was born, he was supposed to represent the Messiah. Look at verse 13, or uh, 13 verse 1. And again, the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord, and the Lord delivered them into the hand of the Philistines for 40 years. Now there was a certain man from Zora of the family of the Danites, whom, wh- whose name was Manoah, and his wife was barren and had no children. And the angel of the Lord appeared to the woman and said to her, Indeed now you are barren and have borne no children, but you shall conceive and bear a son. Now therefore please be careful not to drink wine or similar drink and not to eat anything unclean, for behold, you shall conceive and bear a son. And no razor shall come upon his head, for the child shall be a Nazarite to God from the womb, and he shall begin to deliver Israel out of the hand of the Philistines. So the woman came and told her husband, saying, A man of God came to me, and his countenance was like the countenance of the angel of God. Very awesome. But I did not ask him where he was from, and he did not tell me his name. And he said to me, Behold, you shall conceive and bear a son. Now drink no wine and or similar drink, or eat anything unclean, for the child shall be a Nazarite from God." Uh, Nazarite to God from the day, uh, from the womb to the day of his death. So here we have this upbringing of Samson. He is born to, uh, born to uh, Manoah and his wife, and he is given the name, if you look down at verse thir- uh, 24, he's given this name. So the woman bore a son and called his name Samson. And the child grew and the Lord blessed him. From the womb, as you can see in this little narrative, this sort of nativity narrative of Samson, he is born to be a servant of the Lord. And if you, there's a lot of similarities if you just read some of the language here between the angel of the Lord coming to Manoah and his wife saying that even though you are barren, you're going to bear a son. And uh, the angel who comes to marry herself, saying that even though you are a virgin, you're going to bear a son. There's a little bit of uh, um, interplay going on there. Uh, but they name him Samson, a name which actually means uh, little son or sunny boy in the sense that the sun bright out in the sky. And in that sense, he was meant to be a light to the people of Israel. As one of the prominent judges of Israel, he is meant to be a light to them. And as soon as he is born, as we've seen already, he was meant to bear this vow of the Nazarites. You can read this in Numbers chapter 6, which um, is sort of a a vow of the people of the Lord that would uh, make them sort of in this special sort of category of cleanliness and, and holiness and service to God. And as we've seen already in Judges 13, and as you can read in more detail in number 6 if you would like, uh, those who sort of kept this vow, uh, this, it was a, they were accountable to adhere to all of the Mosaic laws and, and strict adherence to them. And plus, they could never eat anything from the grapevine, uh, which is why they were saying to not drink any wine. And they could never cut their hair and they could never touch anything uh, that is dead. Such is why those, those stories later on in Samson's life, when he's touching the dead carcass of the lion, are so kind of scandalous, because he's going back against his vow, but I'm getting ahead of myself. Um... But any, uh, anyways, holding to the Nazarite vow, you were, uh, your life was held to a different standard. You had a different sort of rule that applied to your life in the sense that you were held to a stricter, more righteous standard for your deeds and your actions and your, and your uh, motivations and desires. And if you... I, I think that this... Is it's presented at the front of his story because it's the, it's the whole interpretive key to understanding Samson's life. is the fact that he has from the womb been committed to uh, serving the Lord, upholding this vow, and being a deliverer of his people. This was the way he was supposed to live. And to be sure, uh, there's lots of things that happen in Samson's life that would actually make it kind of exciting. Um, if, you look at it, just, if you look at some of the events that happen in Samson's life, they are just some of the most crazy things, I think, that are written in all the Bible. Uh, I wrote down some of the ones that I, that jumped to mind. And in chapter 14, verses 5 and 6, we have that that story of when he tore a lion in half with his bare hands. Um, that would make for a good scene in a movie. Or in chapter 14, later on, he kills 30 men by himself, 30 warriors from Ashkelon, which is crazy. And then uh, my favorite story, let me read you these verses. Look at uh, chapter 15, verses 4 and 5. These verses, they can only happen in scripture. (laughs) These verses are just so uh, crazy to me. Uh, So look at chapter 15, verse 4. Then Samson went and caught 300 foxes. And he took torches and turned the foxes tail to tail and put a torch between each pair of tails. And when he had set the torches on fire, he let the foxes go into the, into the standing grain of the Philisees, and burned up both the shocks and the standing grain as well as the vineyards and olive groves. That's just... Insane to me. Like, I wouldn't believe that that happened except that it was in the Bible. Imagine trying to capture in your mind's eye a guy tying foxes' tails together and putting torches in the knot of those tails. That just, it doesn't even make sense that's why I'm saying it. Um, and then uh, even further sort of craziness in, in the rest of chapter 15, uh, look at chapter 15, verse 15. It says, he found a fresh jawbone of a donkey and reached out his hand and took it and killed a thousand men with it. A thousand men with a jawbone of a donkey. And then later on in chapter 16, verse 3, we're told of a story of how he ripped the gates of the city of Gaza clean off their hinges and brought them up to a top of a hill sort of just to prove a point, sort of just to uh, evidence his strength and his bravado and his, and his amazing cunning and courage. These exploits, they read more like a comic book hero than a a judge of Israel. They are just insane sort of storylines. And a lot of times we can get caught up in that, in those sort of, uh, those escapades that he is able to pull off. And I think that if you actually, though, step back and and juxtapose all of these things that happen in Samson's life with the end, you're made to realize that Samson's life is not one to be envied, not one to be uh, in awe of. It's a tragedy through and through. I think it's the most tragic story in the whole Bible because despite being blessed by God, despite being from the womb, gifted by God in order to bless his people and serve God's people and to serve his nation, Samson wasted his life. He squandered his life. He, he played around, as we know, and he played around with power and with prestige and with pleasure. He was caught up with all the things that his amazing gift could bring him and bring to himself, such that he regarded himself as sort of this unstoppable, invincible warrior that could not be held down by men. He was so cavalier in his attitude towards his entire life. He he flippantly cared for the things of God, and essentially throughout his life, even though we know from the very beginning he's been set apart, he's been uh, we might say sanctified to uh, display this vow with his life of the Nazarite, of the Nazarenes. Yeah, he didn't take his vow seriously. He could care less. This is why he's uh, carousing with women. He is drinking uh, stuff from the grapevine all the time. And he is constantly around dead things, if you've noticed. (laughs) He's not taking care of himself. He's not uh, taking his vow uh, seriously. And that's where you realize that the ultimate weakness of Samson is Samson himself. He was his greatest enemy. He, in his, in his hubris, in his, in his self-regard, and his ego, was his greatest enemy throughout his life. Such that it led him to disregard everything that God had led him and wanted him and desired him to live in his life. And so, that sort of as the preliminary, we kind of return now to that record scratch moment. That moment that this strong, burly man that was a, a man that had, had all of these in, incredible feats of strength and escapades. And then we read in verse 21 again of chapter 16 that the Philistines, they took him and put out his eyes and brought him to Gaza and bound him with bronze fetters and he became a grinder in the prison. Utter abasement. You want to talk about Humility. This is probably the most humbling scene in the entire scriptures. The scene of this warrior, this judge of Israel, who has had all of these things that he's been able to, quote, accomplish, and now, Lord, is he here? He's reduced to being a grinder in the prison with his eyes gouged out. Here he is, blind and weak and paraded around like an animal for sport. This is Samson. This is the, the, the one who had who had gone around killing Philistines with the jaw of a donkey, was now reduced to the function of a donkey by the Philistines themselves. This is what pride does. You see, the the whole story of Sanson's life to me is a story of the events of the tragic consequences of pride. The downfall that pride brings to you. The self-regard that Samson portrayed throughout his life ended up bringing him low, bringing him into the most weak, uh, ridiculous state as he's paraded around by his mortal enemies here as they're asking him to perform, be our jester, perform for us, Samson. And here it all is reduced to the the fact that Samson was prideful. Samson was self-concerned. He was conceited and he failed to go to war with those he was supposed to as Israel's judge. Instead, he made his bed with pride. And this is the, 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 the ironic and the tragic irony of Sanson's life. Again, in 16, chapter 16, verse 21, the one, as we noted at the beginning, who, whose name means sunny one, the one who is supposed to bring light to Israel is now reduced to darkness because he has his eyes gouged out. The one who was to unshackle God's people from their captors, the Philistines, is now himself in shackles, is in chains, by the very ones he was called and commemorated and sanctified by God to go up against. And here, this is the awful consequences of pride. They bring you low. This is what pride does. This to me is, I'm going to read that famous verse from Proverbs chapter 16. You probably know it. Um, Proverbs chapter 16 verse 18 says this. Pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. This to me is the epitome of Samson's life. That haughty spirit, that prideful heart, that arrogant, self-confidence, conceited view of his strength and his ability and his ways that he can get around in life and went before him and it led to his destruction It led to his fall. I don't think you can have more of a tragic fall from grace than Samson did here in the scriptures from Israel's judge to the Philistines plaything. From the one who was supposed to deliver Israel to now is the one who is captured by Israel's enemies. And this is what pride does. Pride makes you flippant with the things of God. Just like Samson. Makes you flippant with what God has for you in your life. It's the sin of self-deception and self-sufficiency. It's the sin of thinking that you are able to be like God. You Remember who else thought that too? Adam and Eve, Genesis 3. It's the sin of thinking that you don't need any sort of vow to direct your life. You don't need any sort of direction to govern uh, the way that you live, uh, the way that you talk and the way that you speak, and to order uh, what your future holds. You're self-sufficient. The greatest lie that could ever be told is that you are independent of needing anyone in your life such is why the greatest gift you can ever be given is suffering because it makes you realize that you are utterly dependent on God yes and on others as well that you're not made to live this sort of independent life where you're not uh, where you're not you're not made to live that way pride makes you think that pride makes you think that that, that you're better than what you are and that you deserve something better in fact let me read you <clears throat> Let me read you what God thinks of pride. This is, again, coming from Proverbs chapter 6, verse 16. It says this, These six things the Lord hates. Yes, seven are an abomination to him. Number one, a proud look. First on God's list. Is a proud look. You know, I don't know why. Because I think it's because that's what led to all of this carnage in the first place. Again, going back to the Garden of Eden, what was Adam and Eve's sin? It was a prideful heart that looked upon something that allowed them to believe a lie that they could be just like God. That they didn't need God. They didn't need his fellowship. They didn't need his influence. They didn't need his voice. It led to all of what we see in front of us today. The wreckage of sin, it always goes back to a heart of pride, which makes it believe, makes the, the prideful heart believe that it doesn't need anything. It doesn't need anything from anyone. and It doesn't need anything from God. This is the sin of Samson. It's the sin I still see happening today. It's the sin that I, I fight in, in my own life, the sin of pride and relying on myself and relying on my own abilities. Think about it for a second. Think about how often we vacillate between uh, being so worshipful and dependent on God and faithful and being so independent and self-sufficient and not even making time for God. It's the constant sort of seesaw of the Christian life, I would say. It's the sense that we waver between the the ends of the spectrum that is presented in Samson's life. Self-regard or faith. And the lesson and the key is, to me, is to lean harder into dependency on Christ. Samson went the opposite way. He went all the way to independency. And yet, at the very end, we have this incredible scene. A tragic scene, a scene of lots and lots of death. Three thousand and one lives are here brought to their end by Samson himself. But look at verse 22, because we have an intriguing detail that I want to point out to you. Look at verse 22. So we know at this time, Samson has been shaved bald. Because as he says to Delilah, that his his strength was in his hair. And so in verse 22, it says, However, the hair of his head began to grow again after it had been shaven. This is a really interesting detail to me as we're coming to the end of Samson's life as he's this bald, uh, blind prisoner of the, of the Philistines. You know, here we're given this, this intriguing verse that would make you believe that, yes, his strength was in his hair, that he was actually telling Delilah the truth. And actually, I don't really think that that's what it's telling us. What I think it's telling us is the fact that it's not that his hair was magical and it had some. It wasn't like he wasn't a male version of Rapunzel and he had magical hair that could heal people if you watched Tangled. No, this was I think an indication that he was remembering his vow again. That he is remembering all of those past years of his life and what he was supposed to do. And now, as he is brought to his utter lowest point, he's remembering what. He's remembering that he was set apart for the Lord's service. It's an indication, I think, that he is now here remembering what his life was supposed to be. Because why? Because now in this last moment, he prays to God. Look at that prayer again with the idea now, the lens of him being brought low and remembering this vow. Look what he says. Oh, Lord God, remember me. As if to say, reading between the lines, I've remembered you in this moment. Lord, remember me. I pray, strengthen me. I pray just this once, O oh God, that I may with one blow fulfill the vow and take vengeance on the Philistines for my two eyes. Here I think Samson, after having been brought low for his entire life, here he's praying to God to strengthen him. To remember him, to help him be useful again. And here, this is what we see. He brings down the house, literally, on those that were there. And here he exhibits power that is learned through humility. He exhibits faith that's learned through the most massive of failures and flaws. And this is Samson. Samson. That God's plans moved forward despite him. (laughs) Because in the end, what happens? The Philistines are crushed. And Samson and his people are delivered. And so in the end, we are made to see that Samson's life portrays to us the greatest danger. It's the life of pride. It's the greatest hindrance from you fulfilling God's purpose for your life. Pride makes you believe that you can live your life without God's grace or influence or presence. And that's a surefire way to fail. I pray that we would all learn from Samson. Learn that pride never leads to good ends. It only leads in failure. And yet, despite all of that, God is an expert at making beautiful things out of failures. Let's praise God for that, and let's praise God that he keeps us from a prideful heart. Let's pray this morning.